<clears throat> morning, everyone. Uh, we're almost done, only two or three weeks away from finishing our series, Faith and Finances. We're looking at how to access God's wisdom and power, his guidance, his provision, so that we can grow towards people, towards being a church who avoids debt, who gives generously, who saves prudently and spends strategically. So that's how we want to grow as individuals, as households, as a church. And I love that story about Zacchaeus because I know that on any given year uh, when the topic of money comes up, there are people that carry a lot of shame and guilt around finances or just frustration, just feeling stuck or like they're working hard, but it's two steps forward, three steps back. And Zacchaeus is an amazing reminder that no matter how bad we have screwed things up, no matter how much we've leaned into, in his case, really sinful, self-serving impulses, that redemption is possible, that renewal is possible, that with God's help, um, we can be set on a path that actually leads to life and flourishing. And so regardless of where you find yourself this morning, but especially for those of you who find yourselves uh, discouraged or wanting to avoid this topic altogether because of shame or guilt, know that God's grace is there for you. And everything we're doing in this series is about helping us all to just acknowledge where we are, getting real with God and taking the next step forward. Today, I want to talk about saving and saving prudently. Um, this is a topic which, on one level, isn't incredibly exciting, and on another level, it's somewhat contentious because there is quite a few different perspectives from pastors or churches or Christians on this topic. So, for example, one perspective would say saving and investing for the future, right, RRSPs, that that, is, that entire industry, that entire posture is really just one driven by self-serving greed. So there might be some Christians who say, saving lots of money for the future actually detracts from advancing the kingdom here and now. And what you're essentially doing is trying to store up more and more wealth for yourself. It's a hoarding mentality. And they would go to scriptures like 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they did not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if they weren't actually engrossed in them. Because this world at its present form is passing away. Others would see our culture's emphasis on saving and investing as maybe not being rooted in greed, but certainly being rooted in fear and an anxiousness about the future or inverted like a lack of faith, a lack of trusting God to meet those needs when they come in the future. And so they would see someone squirreling money away, investing in funds as evidence of not trusting God to provide. And they would anchor that view in Statements by Jesus himself, where he says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves can break it and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Because moth and vermin don't destroy. Thieves can't get in there. 
Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And again, Jesus, Matthew 6, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what are you going to eat or drink or about your body. What are you going to wear? Is not life more than all these things? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. But your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than them? How can you worry? Sorry, how can you add a single hour to your life by worrying? And then a third broad view would say, no, saving and investing is a wise practice that's actually aligned with both the Bible and common sense. And this view would say, saving and investing actually protects against future hardship. And that enables one to not only be blessed themselves, but it also enables them to continue to be a blessing to other people later in life especially when earning opportunities might be more limited. And they would anchor that in a lot of common sense wisdom, what they see around them. You see patterns emerge in life, but also just straight to the point Proverbs, like uh, chapter 21, verse 20. The wise person stores up food and oil, but the, the fool just gulps it down. So you have this stark contrast between the wise person who doesn't consume everything they could and stores some away for a rainy day, as it were, and the fool who just receives and then consumes. So you've got these conflicting messages, and in some cases, even conflicting scriptures, at least on the surface. So is it even possible to come up with sort of a theology of saving and investing that kind of brings everything into clarity and helps us move into a way that honors God in this area? And I would say absolutely, absolutely. And this is really, really important and critical for all of us to understand. Let me talk about a few principles and guidelines from the Bible. Number one, saving for the future, saving for future needs is absolutely biblical. Saving is actually encouraged in the Bible, not just in Proverbs 1, but in the details and the big picture. You think of Joseph in Egypt storing up grain because He's given a vision that there's going to be a famine. And whenever people take strategic uh, pivots in order to prepare for future hardship or calamity, the Bible speaks favorably of those people. So the ability to anticipate future needs and prepare for them is continuously reinforced in Scripture. Ecclesiastes 3, 6 says there's even a time to keep things. There's a time to store up. So saving for future needs is absolutely biblical. Number two, investing to build wealth is also right and good. As one person that I was reading this week said, investing is actually commended in the Bible if it's done wisely. You think about Jesus' parable of the talents um, that Rick referenced a few weeks ago, that there is this uh, desire that God would not just give us things and us keep them from loss, but that we would invest them in ways that duplicate and multiply. And that applies to more than just our finances, but it doesn't apply to less. Hopefully we can invest in businesses that employ people, deliver products or services to customers in an ethical way. And these companies will do well and they'll provide some kind of return on our investment. Proverbs 31 says, the woman of noble character 
laughs at the future. She carries no anxiety about it. And part of that is because she has adopted a posture where she is preparing for difficult days ahead. And when we talk about investing, you always got to say, I'm not talking about kind of quick, uh, get quick, get rich quick schemes and stock trading. Um, it's not about betting the farm on a hot tip from a family member. That's really speculation and speculating. And that amounts to gambling uh, on future events. And, you know, you don't have to study Google, walk around with your eyes wide open and your ears open. And that's not going to be a path to um, stability and prosperity. But wise investing, when it's done strategically and carefully, is absolutely a right and good thing. And one of the mechanisms through which God prospers his people. So saving and investing is, is biblical. It's right. It's good. Number three, saving and investing can absolutely honor God and bless other people. We, it might be tempting for some of us to think of saving as essentially a self-serving act. I'm saving my money for my life so that I have more later on. And it can devolve into that. But saving actually honors God when we understand that it is a gift. That if everything in our life is grace, then part of what we do is we save some of that grace for ourselves, but also to extend to other people. And we recognize that's grace. So we don't just treat it flippantly, right? We're not just like the fool who gets stuff and then consumes it. Because when we act in a way that's unplanned or impulsive or just give way to foolish spending, right? Like we're actually not being the stewards, the managers, those with the responsibility to not just not lose what God has given us, but how do I invest it strategically so that my time and energy and my talents and my skill sets and my money grows. And ideally over time has a, um, a growing impact in a positive way on those around me. And so proper stewardship and an understanding that we are responsible with our money puts us in a better position to help when needs arise. And saving money allows us to have a lot of flexibility when unplanned hardships, unfortunate um, kind of events befall us or befall family members or friends or members in our, uh, of our community. Saving also allows us to leave an inheritance. That's something that the Old Testament talks about a lot, the importance that the righteous and the godly think generationally, not just, oh, there's money in my life. That's great. How do I leverage this for myself? They're thinking beyond their own life to future generations. And... Um, Oh, sorry, I lost my, lost my place here. Um, yeah, it, it, it allows you to bless your, um, your children and your grandchildren. Saving also helps us to avoid debt. And when you are out of debt, that frees up a massive cognitive load in your mind. And so saving, having a savings amount that allows you to, when unplanned expenses come down the pipe, and you can say, oh, I've actually got money to cover that, and I don't need to go in debt by 1000 or 5000 or $50,000 and now carry that psychologically and on my heart and mind for two, five years. 
that just gives us a massive opportunity to free up energy to be more attentive to God, more attentive to other people. And so it might be easy to think of saving and investing as a purely selfish activity, but the Bible says when it's done strategically with a view to honor God and bless other people, it's, it's really a source of life, both for you and your household and for people around you. So it is right and good, I would argue, as a starting point, as a foundational theological pillar to say, saving some money for the future, good. Investing money in order to build and grow wealth, good. And when those things are done in a way that our hearts are always saying, God, how do I honor you in all this? And how do I make sure that I'm using all of my life to serve your purposes and to practically help people, good. But obviously there are ways of saving and investing which are corrupted and sinful and selfish and self-serving, and we have to name those. And saving and investing, even if we don't start with, the mo- with bad motives, it can kind of begin to turn our motives. Because part of Jesus' warning is where your treasure goes, your heart will follow. Where your treasure is, your heart, your life, the thing that you're most committed to will follow. And so if we don't see our savings and investments as ultimately about investing in the things that matter most, God and people, and advancing God's kingdom, then we can get pulled in a very ungodly, destructive direction. And we need to acknowledge that absolutely, I have, maybe many of you have, I have saved and invested for all of the wrong reasons. There have been times where I've done it out of fear or out of greed. Uh, Maybe even for a desire to be independent from God and people. If I could just have this amount in my bank account, I wouldn't have to rely on other people. I wouldn't have to rely on God. You know, I'd be free from having to say to God, give me today my daily bread and to ask for help for for my neighbors. And I like that vision maybe of being capital I, independent, financially independent. When our motivation to save and invest is rooted in fear or greed or desire to live independently, our saving and our investing becomes sinful. It becomes poisonous. And it begins eating away at the life of God within us, the quality of our life from the inside out. And that's why personally, I can't speak for all of you, but personally, I'm not just reflexively envious or jealous of people who have a lot of money. I'm not like, oh, that person has a lot of money. Oh, I wish I had a lot of money. Because you don't want a lot of money necessarily. And the Bible speaks to this as well, right? If, if you have accumulated and sustained having lots of money because of fear or greed or desire to have like godlike independence from other people, none of that material wealth will actually be a blessing. It will just be a curse. Having more money is not a blessing unless it has been offered over to God and in a sense surrendered every day to God. Not my will, God. Your will be done in my finances. Ecclesiastes 5.13 Solomon says, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, 
like a oof, this is brutal. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. Solomon's like, I've seen a lot of bad stuff in my time. One of the worst, though, is people who thought that hoarding their wealth will just build and enhance their life. And I've seen people's lives ruined while their bank accounts and barns are full to overflowing. Of course, one of the most sobering warnings comes from Jesus himself as it relates to money and and savings. In Luke 12, there's a pretty famous teaching about a rich fool. That's often the way it's introduced. And Jesus is teaching a lesson about saving and investing and where it goes right, where it goes wrong. And he says, okay, the ground of a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So this guy comes into a ton of money and he thinks to himself, what should I do? I don't have enough storage space for all this harvest. It's like having so much money in the bank. You know, a bank can't be and said, we have to open another account because there's not enough digits in this account to like, you know, we got to open a second one. And he says, what am I going to do? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down these barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my surplus grain. Now, to this point in the parable, everyone should be tracking. And certainly if you're coming, as uh, most of the hearers of this parable in the first century would have, they would have said, sounds good so far. There's nothing, he's done nothing wrong. He's doing a smart thing. You don't want that grain to go to waste. He's going to tear it down. He's going to renovate, create more storage space. But then Jesus continues and he says, the man says to himself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who's going to get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. What is the sin that the man commits in that parable? Well, first of all, just a simple yes or no. Is it because he was rich and he had like a ton, massive harvest and a boom in terms of his financial prosperity. Is that the sin? Nope. What's the sin? He just, the entire process, first of all, it's interesting, every time the man talks, who's he talking to? Why? And there's no one else around him. He has successfully achieved independence. He's not bouncing this idea off someone. That's all he's got to talk to. Doesn't talk to God about it. Doesn't talk to other people. And now he's like, wow, I've been doing pretty good. I don't need anybody else in my life. Don't even need God. Now there's an even greater blessing. Hello, amazing. But then he has a dark turn and he goes fully into this. He's like, oh, now I have everything that I need to live the life that I want. Literally a completely self-centered life. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to eat and drink. I'm just going to bend my entire life around getting up and saying, what would be fun and enjoyable to do today? See, that's the turn. It's the storing up things for himself. Jesus says, 
This is what's going to happen to people who store up things for themselves, but are not rich towards God. It's not the storing up. It's why are you storing up? What's the trajectory of that savings and investments that you're making? What's really, what are you actually going after? And for this guy, it was, if I could just get to a place where I could retire from all responsibility, oof, chef's kiss, amazing, love it. And that is the sinful turn. And Jesus contrasts that with being rich towards God. But that had nothing to do with the storing up. The contrast is between this person storing up things for themselves. If that's all they see. Like so many other things in Christianity. I mean, this is an amazing parable. And, and you see the, the through lines through everything else that Jesus says and does. What makes something right or wrong is so often the motives that give birth to it, that direct it, and the ends that we're shooting for. What makes something good or bad, holy or profane, is the motivation behind it. Is it a good thing to read the Bible? Maybe. Depends on why you're reading the Bible. Is it a good thing to pray? Maybe. Depends on why you're praying, to what ends, who you're praying to, attitude of your heart. Is it good to go to church? Maybe. But showing up at church doesn't just automatically lead to spiritual growth. You could show up at church and every single Sunday just clamp down into deeper and deeper bitterness and resentment. But volunteering, giving to other people. Now we think of those things as good things and they are and can be if they're oriented in the right direction. If we're always saying, God, how do I bless you and bless other people through this activity? But all of those things can be done in a wildly selfish way. Is it a good and noble thing to be a pastor? Maybe. Depends on what kind of pastor you are. Depends on the motivation, the end game, right? The, in a sense, the outward part of the cup. You know, that, that, that's never, no matter how beautiful it is or how high and lofty the language it's really about what's going on on the inside. And Jesus is saying, when you try and save and invest, there are certain temptations that will pull you. And one of those temptations can be, this is all for me. It's just, just simply a mechanism through which I can move into a life of ease and comfort. And this is the same with our savings and our investing. Our motivation really, really matters. And so balance is key here, right? You've got to find this, this balance. On the one hand, as someone said, we, we need to set aside something and invest it wisely for future needs. That's a good thing. But on the other hand, we want to be generous. We want to remain dependent on God. We want to recognize that he's the source and the goal of all that he gives us, that he alone controls the future, that we're not trusting in our wealth, right? A key scripture where uh, Paul is instructing Timothy on how to instruct his church in Ephesus. He says, I want you to command those who are rich in this present age. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your trust in wealth because it's so uncertain. 
Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Right? So we should be wise and strategic with our money, but we should refuse to put our trust there. And that's a fuzzy line, right? Like It's not like it's always obvious when we go over that line of, I'm trusting God, and now like, oh, I'm kind of trusting in these investments, in this bank account, in this number amount. But that's why we have to be open-hearted before God every day and to say, God, search my heart in all areas. Because sometimes that line isn't always obvious for us where we've gone from actually honoring and trusting God to now leaning on our own understandings, our own strategies. I kind of feel like I've got this. It's okay, God, I'll take it from here. And we start bending more towards how could I leverage this for me? and me alone. And so I have some questions there that we need to be reflecting on regularly. Questions like, what is driving my saving and my investing habits? What's underneath it? Am I putting my trust in wealth? And maybe you asked that question five or 10 years ago and you're like, no, it's fine. But now something's happened within us and we have to sort of go to God and work things out. And there's other ones there, right? Is, is my focus on saving, because this can be another thing too. It can just become an obsession where we just need just a little bit more, a little bit more saving, a little bit more money, wise investments. And on the front end, it's, it's all being done for the right reasons, but it's consuming all of our mental RAM. So we're going through our day just obsessed with something good if it was held in balance, but it's, a, it's just taking over um, our, our, our mind and our heart. However we approach saving and investing, and like I've said at every, Rick and I have said at every turn, at every specific topic, it's going to look different. Um, giving and saving and spending, there's nuances and, um, and distinctions that have to be made between, there's no one size fits all. But what is clear is that we have to be saving and investing out of a recognition that this is, in, in, a, in a really um, important sense, like this is God's money that he has entrusted to us. We have a responsibility to steward it well, not just here in this moment, but ideally to save and invest so that we can prolong our ability to be a blessing to other people and to be blessed as we walk with God. So here's some application, three things. You should start saving and investing. The best time to start saving and investing is 30 years ago. The next best time is today. And like our conversation on giving, people can get overwhelmed because they're like, well, I know compound interest. If you don't start at this age and blah, 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 it's not going to matter. And I feel so lost and I don't even know where. Just start somewhere. We talked about giving. Just start 1%. Start somewhere and just start to build. Remember that sequence. We, we give as a priority. We save as a priority. And then we move on to spending. And we want to do that because the two things that almost always fall by the wayside for us is giving as a first fruits and then saving. Our culture in all kinds of ways reinforces consume, like get stuff, and then, yeah, like pay yourself first by saving down the line. And then if you want to go like the extra mile, you can give 20 bucks to charity or whatever. But in the Bible, that is reversed. We give to God first, then we save, and then we, we learn at every stage of life to live well below what our full income is. That's the ideal. But if you're like, Jeff, I'm not at that ideal. 
That's okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not at that ideal either. So start with the next step. And the next step is to say, where can I start saving and investing? Just like tithing and giving, start where you can. Trust God to build momentum and to honor that intention. To say $50 in savings, $200, a certain percentage. Number two, you ideally want to build an emergency fund. This is a fund to just handle unexpected expenses. Um, I won't go into that too much, but I've had times in, in my life where I've had that, times where I've had have it. And it's really nice to have just $1,000 or maybe, um, yeah, there's a few thousand dollars on there so that if a repair on the car comes up or an opportunity um, that you really feel strongly in and say, yeah, I want to take advantage of this, you have that money available. So build up an emergency fund. Just start saving, again, $25, $10, $50. The amount doesn't matter. It will just begin to feel good to live below your means and then push some of that money into the future. And lastly, I would say uh, talk to a trusted financial advisor, right? Um, managing investments and savings and even having someone who can see the forest for the trees and bring the panic down, a professional who can come alongside you as an individual or a couple and say, okay, this is where we're at. Here's a plan of how to move forward and can do that in a way that is highly competent and professional and not shaming or guilting. That can be a real turning point for people. And there's nothing wrong with asking for help. If you're like me, you grew up with zero financial literacy being passed down to you. And so you, I've spent the last number of decades learning by a lot of mistakes and making reactive choices and saying, oh, and trying to borrow ideas and so I'm learning, and at different stages of life, I've gone to um, financial advisors and said, here's where we're at, what's kind of your take? What do you see that I don't see? Right, help me. And that's been very, very good uh, for me and for us. This is often a much wiser place than just trying to figure things out on your own. Um, in most areas where there is specialized knowledge, it's really a good practice to go to someone that you trust, someone, talk to friends, family, someone who comes highly recommended, and you have confidence in their experience and their expertise and their credentials that will help you begin to set your financial house in order. So the big idea this morning is that saving and investing is biblical. And it's important and it's right and good to do, but it comes with temptation. And it becomes wrong and sinful when it's motivated by greed or fear or the desire to live independently from other people or God. But when it's seen as a tool through which we can prolong our ability to receive blessing from God and then to extend that blessing to other people, man, it's a, it's a game changer. It's absolutely a path that both honors God and blesses yourself and people. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are so patient with us. I think of my own life, God, where this has been one area that oh, I have not been very strong in, and yet you continue to teach me and lead me, and I thank you for that. And for others here this morning, God, teach us your ways. 
We want to live in a way that honors you and that moves us into prosperity, not just of more money, but we want our lives to be full of the things that make life rich. So would you teach us how to save a portion of that grace that you've given us? We recognize all of it comes from your hand. And as we prepare ourselves for communion, God, I thank you that you redeem not just people, but situations that you can take places of loss and stuckness and desolation and bring new life. Do that in our lives, God. Do that in our finances. In Jesus' name, amen.